Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. Today, I am with Lawson Craddock. I think he's in Austin. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. For those of you who don't know who he is, incredible athlete, uh, currently wearing Stars and Stripes for time trial in the U.S. and yeah. going to be shifting to a new team in 22, mm-hmm. but has been with EF, I think, for eight years, if I'm right. Six okay. years. Yeah. So been, been pro for eight years and then, uh, yeah, EF was six years. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I'm yeah, very excited. Fun. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to make this work, you know. But. It's it's crazy. I mean, you know, you and I have been in contact for a while, and I've been, you know, when you're racing, I'm pinging you, like, are you eating right? <laughs> you know, busting your chops. Yeah. I do owe you a steak dinner yeah, still from, yeah. from, from the uh, most there. aggressive day, which was yeah. awesome to see and watch. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're from Houston originally, correct? I am from Houston. So I grew up there and uh, about 10 years ago after high school, I, m- I moved to Austin. So, and I've, I've been here mostly ever since I, I yeah, now since I turned professional, I, I split my time between being on, uh, between Austin and Girona in Spain. And yeah, I got a family now, wife, two kids. And yeah, it's crazy how fast, you know, life comes at you and how quickly things change. It's incredible, but yeah, here we are. And yeah, I'm almost 10 years into my career and Pretty, pretty incredible. So you started, if I'm correct, on the velodrome in Houston, and you started a charity to actually help mm-hmm. rebuild it after Harvey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I grew up, I went out to the velodrome for the first time when I was 10 years old. Uh, my dad, my dad's Houston, you know, he was born there and raised there. And uh, a long time ago, he, before he had kids, he also raised, uh, raced out of the velodrome. Uh, and so that's why we're you know, kind of familiar with it. And we live super close to it, like five, 10 minutes away. And, and when I was, yeah, 10, my brother Parker was 12. Uh, my dad brought us out there and, and did this youth cycling camp. And, and that's how we got our, our start into it. And yeah, it did definitely, it got some damage during Hurricane Harvey. And that was in 2017. Um, and then 2018, I was at the Tour de France. And, and on the first stage, I had a pretty tough crash and, and fractured my shoulder blade. And yeah, it was like kind of, sitting there, I was like, oh man, I kind of need motivation to continue if I want to continue. I was like, well, let's just try and do something, yeah, good for other people and started this GoFundMe for, you know, the, you know, to try and uh, repair and, and rebuild the, the velodrome and it took off. It was crazy. <laughs> so let's talk about that year. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of lipping things and we're going to kind of bop all over. Yeah. Let's talk about that year in specific. I mean, that, you know, and you and I have talked about it offline privately, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, you told me, you know, if I recall it correctly, that that break, it was pretty demoralizing, but the concept of getting back on the bike and pushing through it and having such a, the public as a whole mm-hmm. getting so behind you kind of made it worthwhile to get back on and suffer. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, I, th- that whole experience just made me realize like the kind of like the, the platform that we have as athletes and, and the influence that we, you know, can bring to others. Um, so when I did crash, you know, it's like, I, I put a lot into to making it 
there at the Tour de France. Uh, I had a terrible season the year before to the point where I was like, man, my career might be done. Um, so for me, making it to the start line, there was so much work and so much effort that that I put into and my family put into just to just to get me there. And so, you know, halfway through the first stage when I crashed and immediately knew something was wrong, like I was like, oh, man, this is this is a bummer. But, you know, your your first instinct is just to continue and go and push. And, and yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that was that was pretty incredible for me to see and, and, and see the reception that we have from it was spectacular. You know, it, it, it really encouraged me and motivated me um, throughout the entire race. And I was able to finish the, the entire tour and, and quite a, quite a few hours behind the leader, but uh, made it nonetheless. And yeah, it was definitely one of those moments that I think when I'm, you know, when it's all said and done and, and, you know, like beyond cycling, I think it's going to be one of the things I'm most proud about in my life. So, so, I think there's a lot to talk about when it comes to time that mm. you're putting in. And, and you've already talked about the things that your family gave up, things mm -hmm. that you gave up. I'd like you to talk a little bit about how much effort goes into, well, one, getting to where you turn professional, like how mm -hmm. that, how you push that level, but then to where you are now. I mean, you're just continuously, you know, we've tried to schedule podcast i don't know how many times i'm like hey dude how about this time you're like nope i'm not available till like yeah, right? much later in the day yeah Training. yeah i mean it's incredible you know it's like uh life comes at you fast you know I'm like fast forward i've got two kids and, and all this stuff and and yeah, sometimes when you look back you're like oh, that happened quickly but you know during the process during uh you know the the journey that gets you there it's it's so much stuff behind the scenes and so much daily effort that that helps you get to that point. Um, I was really fortunate to, um, you know, like I, I grew up and I had great parents and a great family and great support system. And, and for me, my life was almost always centered around cycling. Uh, I started racing when I was 10 and just had the steadily, steady progression, progression throughout the sport that allowed me to, to get to the top level. Um, but there's so many steps along the way that you think, maybe I can't do this. Maybe, um, you know, maybe this isn't for me, maybe I'm not cut out for it, but you know, those are moments that kind of really teach you about them yourself and, you know, make it to the other side and you realize how much you grow throughout, throughout the journey. So I'm definitely not the same person I started when I started riding when I was 10. I'm not the same person I started when I was turned professional in 2014. Um, I'm not even the same person as, you know, I was when we started this podcast. So I get <laughs> It's, it's wild. You know, you, you learn so much. Uh, you work so hard. Um, I get asked all the time, you know, like, Hey, what does it actually take to be a professional? You know, I've got, I've got good numbers. You know, I win the local cat one race all the time. Like, why can't I turn professional? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny, but it, you know, my answer is always like, it takes so much more than just, you know, getting on a bike and hammering for 20 minutes or being able to ride for three hours. You know, it's, it's a daily grind day in and out. Um, it's the, you know, the ruthless execution that you have to, you know, just attack your training and, and, and your work with. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing about it is the passion, the passion to do what you love day in and day out uh, to get better constantly and, and always be finding ways to improve. And, you know, there's so much more than just doing something, you know, there's so much more, there's this incredible backstory behind any journey through any sport, you know, profession, job, life you know and 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 that's what gets you there so it's pretty incredible what when you start looking at all these experiences that you've had you know 
velodrome, mm-hmm. being on the road, racing in the tour, having a bad year. I mean, let's talk about that, you know, like bad <laughs> year, bad year. year, right? Like yeah, shit, shit goes pear-shaped, right? Like mm-hmm. things, things happen. You may get hurt, you know, you may overtrain, you may undertrain. I mean, there's so yeah. many components to it, right? Talk about like, cause, cause as I like to say this a lot, the measure of our success is how we deal with problems. Right. Yeah. And I think that is just as applicable into what you're doing every day mm-hmm. and part of your career. How mm-hmm. do you deal with those down moments and how do you turn them around? Because a lot of people, right. once they stay down, they can't get out of being down. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I, I think, yeah, looking at how to get out of those, those holes and, you know, every life is a roller coaster. Everything you do is a roller coaster. There's just going to be good moments and bad moments. But I think the most important thing about the bad moments is just having a good support system around you. Uh, people that you know that you can always rely on. Uh, surround yourself with people that believe in you um, and, and support you no matter what. And for me, I feel really fortunate to, to have my family uh, there in my corner all the time, but also a really, really close group of friends that I know are also going to be, be there for me no matter what. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about good years and bad years. Um, yeah, I look back and, and in 2017, I had this like truly horrendous year. Um, I was working with a, a different coach, um, for the first time in basically my entire career. And, and I just did the wrong stuff from, day one of, of, to, you know, basically until my body just exploded in, in March. Um, I, I more or less had to take the whole season off, uh, of racing. I, I just wasn't myself, um, as a person and also as a cyclist. And yeah, I got to the end of the year and, you know, my first reaction was to, to blame the coach, you know, I was like, ah, you know, that's, that was, this is his problem, you know, like he's the one that like put me into this hole and, and just like, you know, refused to get out like then, you know, and, and where I couldn't get out of it. And, um, but, you know, it took me, it did take me on this journey of where I more or less like was able to discover myself. Um, and the more time spending thinking about it and, and kind of, you know, observing the whole situation, you know, in the rearview mirror, I realized, you know, like, this is on me, this is my fault, you know, like it's my body. I need to be the one that needs to be able to speak up. I need to be the one that, that needs to, to at the end of the day, do what I, I should be doing to put myself in the best situation for it. And, and I personally did not do that. Um, and, and so it really just kind of, I had this epiphany. I was like, you know, like you have to take act, you know, take uh, responsibility for your actions, you know, don't blame things on others. Don't, don't say it's anyone else's fault when you screw up and, and don't take credit for someone next, you know, for someone else's success. And when it goes well. Um, so for me, that was this, terrible year that you know I, I absolutely hated every second of it uh in the middle of it but personally i'm i'm so happy and so proud of, uh, of you know what i did go through that i came out the other side and and really feel like i grew a lot and discovered actually who i am as a person as a writer and and i think that you know maybe in the moment was a bad year but i think it's one of those important important years of my life and career so yeah, it's like that, that saying to make make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, like you got to turn it around and and being and let's go back to that year. You know, you have this this I'll call it the collarbone year. <laughs> um, you know, 
the rattling of the bike for those folks out there who have not ridden with a broken bone. Um, mm. That sucks. Don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say that because I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not to that extent. I broke it and had to get home. Yeah. Right. Right out. And that's something. <laughs> up. But I can't imagine doing it for 21 days or 20 yeah. days. You know. Yeah. The constant rattle of the bike is going to create a hum in the bone, which mm -hmm. is going to make it rub. Right. Mm -hmm. No matter how much tape or whatever you put on, or it, it's going to hurt. Right. But, Let's talk about what I like to call the ajibaji, you know, riding in the big group, you know, you yeah. get blows and bumps and yeah. That that's is brutal. a really that's a skill set that I think, you know, when somebody says to you, "How do you get to be pro?" Yeah. Well, that is a skill that you can ride as fast as you want or be as fast yeah. as you can be, but unless you can ride in that group dynamic, that's mm -hmm. like this. There's yeah. there's no room for error. And that's a big, that's a big skill in my mind. Yeah. I look at it as a, as a pro skill that can't be uh, learned by going really fast. No, no, for sure. I mean, that's, that's something a lot of guys really struggle with. I mean, there's so many riders out there that are stronger than anyone in the Peloton, but they don't know how to ride close to each other. You know, someone touches their elbow and they just slam on their brakes and, and can't deal with it. Um, I, when I did break my fracture, my uh, scapula and the tour I did, spin the entire tour actually last wheel <laughs> you know surrounded by absolutely no one i was like i don't want to i'm not going to put myself in a danger i'm just going eight point a to point b today so um but that that is definitely something that you i mean you have to learn and and it's such an you know from the outside looking in it's such an underrated part of of being a professional cyclist uh the constant fighting the constant just distress and pressure you know we have radios uh, uh and you know the directors on our cars saying you know we have to be at the front at this point and with technology these days it's like you know with google maps and 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 weather profiles and and everything down to like you know an exact you know exact point exact science like you know there's no point that you know, there's no excuse to be caught out uh, for any crosswinds or, or not be prepared for what happens in the stage. And so as a result of that, it's constantly being said, hey, we need to be at the front here. We need to be at the front here. We need to be at the front here. And so when 180 people are here that in your ear, there's only room for like 20 of them actually, you know, from side to side, maybe not, maybe eight, five, you know, these roads in Europe are just way too small. Um, so it's it's incredible i mean like there's cycling is not just like who crosses the finish line first and it's just like such a basic way to describe the sport that couldn't be any further from the truth um there's so much that goes into it there's so many tactics so many team tactics that uh, it's incredible you know it's, it's so much information that we have to you know try and retain before the stage you know there's so much um you know work that goes in that the directors have to do six months out you know i think they just released uh the tour de france and the Giro d'Italia route i guarantee that the directors are sitting down right now going from every single meter of the road from stage one to stage 21 looking looking for an advantage and looking for for points that they need to be careful of so it's insane i mean it's it's a crazy life and it's just getting crazier and crazier you know <laughs> i mean there's so much forward movement, right? And and I I'm lucky that Bob I live next to Bob Roll. Like nice. I, so I get a lot. Uh, of, I bet you guys have some crazy conversations. Oh yeah, so um. <laughs> uh, if uh, there's a lot of moments during the tour when he's commentating and I'm texting him when it's yeah. live. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, oh, all the time. So if you ever see him live and he does one of these, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably you. <laughs> Blame me. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. 
Yeah, no, that's fine. But I grew up awesome watching watch. Marvel. Yeah. It's awesome to hear his insight mm -hmm. and see, you know, from somebody who raced, has been to all these grand tours, been to all these events, but also talk about what it's like being in the pack, being mm -hmm. at the back of the pack, you know, leading somebody out, the feed zones. I mean, there's so many little intricacies that, again, go back to what is it like or how do you get to be, I mean, it's like such a simple thing as, a, a Mousset pass off that could just decimate a whole Peloton if somebody does it incorrectly. Yeah. That's what ruined my, my tour in, in 2018, you know, we're in the feed zone and someone just dropped the bottle in front of me and then I hit it and just went careening off the side of the road. So it's, there's so much stuff that you have to be said. I mean, a crack this, this wide could, could easily put you down, you know, and we're always just on the limit you know, always on the limit and, and everyone's looking for any kind of advantage and, and trying to pass anyone, you know, see an inch of room, they'll just go for it. I won't even think, just go for it. Um, so it's, oh God, it's just madness. <laughs> like a lot of times you just like, yeah, you get to the end of the stages, and like maybe physically it wasn't so demanding, but you're so mentally drained because for five hours, you're just laser focused. You know, and that's how, that's not how it was when I first started my career. I used to be able to have like pretty deep and you know, conversations in the Peloton for like three hours. And then you'd be like, oh, hey, sprint's coming up in 40K. Let's, yeah, we'll talk to stay, start taking it serious. Now it's just from the gun. You know, you have to be on top of things. And what do you, at, you've seen a lot. And just like you said, you've seen the transition from yeah. when you started to now. What is it like with this new generation coming in that are cracking fast, right? <laughs> cracking fast and they're kind of fearless because yeah. and i just yeah. read a really interesting article which uh fuglesang saying there's not as much respect in the peloton as there was in years past which is creating a little bit more of a an aggressive feeling in the in the grubetto which is making it harder for people to get from point a to point b with yeah. yeah it's i mean yeah like you said it's we have so many young riders that are coming in and just dominating you know, Pojakar is like, you know, he's on a different level than everyone else. And he's been in the pro Peloton for three years now. And he's won the tour two times. That's incredible. That's just stuff that we haven't heard before. You know, it's like we're seen before. Um, but I think there's something you said about like, you know, technology has, has come such a long way that these young riders, you know, they have power meters. They have access to pros information and power files from the second that they start riding a bike at 10, 12 years old. So they, they spend their youth basically just, just already knowing what they need to be doing. And, and they're doing crazy hours as, as young children and young kids and juniors. And, you know, I so say, I think that collectively the level in every single, you know, uh, discipline or like more or less every level of the sport is just become so much higher so that the, the gap from, you know, the professionals to the U23s or juniors actually is not nearly as, as big as it was 10 years ago. Um, yeah, but, and then, you know, these days you riders are just looking for any and every kind of advantage that they can get, you know, the green Jersey is at the Tour de France is a huge accomplishment. Um, and it's normally goes to the best sprinter, but now you have to, you have to realize like you actually have to be able to do everything to win that Jersey. Um, you have to make it, you have to win the, the, the flat, you know, 180 man group sprints, but you also have to make the, the 40 to 50 man, uh, groups that, that sprint for the win as well. Um, so that just increases the speed throughout the whole stage. 
the Gruppettos are ruthless because it's almost on big bounce stages. You have the sprinters battling each other and you're like, okay, if, if one sprint, if two sprinters, the two top sprinters are off the back together, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, shoot, if we, if we get this guy behind us, uh, maybe he'll miss time cut and then we'll put him in the red and then he won't be able to finish the stage. And then we can just get rid of him altogether. So there's so many more dynamics. There's and none of that stuff is on TV. You know, it's, yeah. it's so much more. Yeah. Like you don't see the stuff that actually happens. Like, you know, you, you watch the first, the, the leaders of the race, but that's, that's about it. You know, there's so much stuff and so many days that, that you get done and, and yeah, the, the winner probably has the easiest, easiest day out of everyone. It's the guys from like 50th to 180th that just struggled for the whole day, just fighting to make the finish. And they're so glad, like, oh gosh, that's done. It's, yeah, man, I, ooh, I don't know why we're having this conversation in the off season because it's supposed to be my relaxing time. And I'm like, I, I, I don't have to deal with this for the, like, another three months, I think. And I'm have to relive all these like bad memories of it. Oh, come on. It's, I think it's really important that people understand cycling races are like chess. There's yeah. so many different levels within a team. There's so many different levels of things happening on the road. There's so much more than what it is. And I mean, let's be honest, you're careening down a hill, massive. Let's not even, it's not a hill. It's mm -hmm. a fucking mm -hmm. mountain. Oh yeah. Careening down the hill in basically what I would consider a glorified underwear. So <laughs> yeah. if you eat it, your superhero costume is yeah. shredded. Oh yeah. Right? Which means you are too. So uh -huh. people don't understand like the level of speed that you guys are going when you're descending, the amount of output you're putting to climb it. It's just so much. It's like, I don't, I can't ever try to, I tried to explain this to somebody the other day. Imagine putting out 110 to 115% of your effort to get to this top of this hill where you're about ready to just wretch your brains out. Oh, yeah. And then you turn around and have to go down functionally without seeing mm -hmm. spots yeah. at about 45 to 50 miles an hour on a yes. bike in a superhero costume. <laughs> right? Am I wrong? Well, I mean, if we had like a cape on, that'd be much cooler. I'd feel <laughs> much, I'd feel much better about myself if I had a Superman cape flying behind. You can do that. You do have the stars and stripes. We'll get them yeah. to move to a mini. Right? It sick. doesn't get hooked in the spokes. <laughs> yeah, right? That'd be amazing. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, like, I think a lot of us also take advantage of our, our skill set. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of near crashes that we have in the Peloton where you're just like, oof, that was close. Like, you don't, we don't realize like, oh man, that could have been disastrous, you know, but it's just, just one of the things that happens, you know, and these sprint finishes from the last hour of the race, there is so many times that, you know, got a foot out, you're, you know, got one wheel, like off the side of the road, like skidding back on. It's just like, yeah, that's just part of it. That's just part of the game. You know, that's just how it goes. So. It's crazy to watch it as a spectator on the television, but to stand on the side of the road and watch it is kind of, it's humbling. It's yeah. powerful. And it definitely makes you not yell at the TV anymore. It makes you not yell, go, 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 because yeah. there, there's no more go. That, uh -huh. If they're going, they got everything going at that moment. Yeah. Oh, it is, it, like, it, it's opened my eyes just being like on the inside of, of a professional sport. Maybe it's not the biggest professional sport, but you start watching like all these other, you know, you watch football, you watch, you know, basketball on TV, you're like, oh, why didn't he make that? You know, why, oh, that guy was wide open. Why did he not hit that for a touchdown? You know, it's just like, 
I'm sure they're trying their best, you know, like these guys are leaving it all out there and like, you know, there's only so much that the human body can do. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, also it is strange. Like I, I haven't done the tour in a couple of years and for the first couple, like, you know, for two or three years, I was kind of more watch that i was like i should be there i don't even want to watch like i i felt bitter uh but i turned it on last year and i have to say i really enjoyed i much more enjoyed the sprint stages and the mountain stages because the sprint stages are so unpredictable and like you really don't know it's such an even playing field with the, the sprinters that we have and and knowing what goes on in those pelotons like I enjoyed it from 50, 60 K to go. I was glued to the TV and just like, you know, always looking like tactically, okay, where's this team? Where's this team? And then, then, then you see at the, like at the end, like who wins and you're able to be like, oh, okay, like this, this is what they did right or wrong or, or, or whatever. But yeah, they, they are pretty incredible to watch. Cause it's just, it's so dynamic and there's so, it's so fluid with so many different moving parts. Um, Mount stage is actually, was just more or less like, oh, okay. Uh, Coach Christ probably going to win. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Good job. <laughs> So, I mean, it was, it was incredible to see like Sap Coos won a stage today or this year, which was, which was amazing to watch. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's who's strongest and there's just a handful of guys. And we saw this year, there's three guys that were just on a different level. So. Isn't it interesting to see the difference from the years of when the climber jersey used to be Veronk? Mm-hmm. And there were just climbers. Yeah. Weren't part of the GC mix at all. And those guys were going for it. And that was like the whole coveted. And it was very rare that that GC guy mm-hmm. be the same as the client, as the climbers jersey. It's such a different dynamic nowadays. Yeah, I think so. And I think probably a lot of that or some of that could be, could be due, due to the rules in the, in these races at the moment. Um, and, and maybe if they want more of a fight for the actual climbers jersey, then, then maybe those need to change like different scale of points for, for, for climbs and stuff or different, like, you know, but if you have a GC guy, he's probably every mountain stage, you know, if there's not a breakaway, he's going to be in the top three getting, you know, 30, 40 points or whatever. Um, and, and that's what we saw this year, uh, you know, with, with Pojicard just dominating every aspect of the, of the race and winning, I don't know, three jerseys or something. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> that hasn't happened in a long yeah. time. So, but no, it's definitely a different sport. Um, I will say I grew up, it was so exciting to watch these races just because like the mountain stages were, were so unpredictable because I mean, different era of the sport, don't get me wrong, but holy shit, they went up so fast and you just see them just like an all out sprints for like 20 minutes. So just like in the, in the drops, just like hammer. And you're like, that looks sick. <laughs> Granted, they were getting a little bit of help on the side, but like, you know, like it looks sick from the outside and yeah. So it's, it's definitely a lot different now. And, you know, I'm pretty proud to be in Peloton and AM these days with, with, you know, in, in terms of everything, but um, yeah, it is definitely a different and, and, you know, different, different Peloton, different way to race. And I think we're just constantly evolving as a, as a, you know, profession. So how do you feel that having the opportunity to live in Girona has benefited you? Because, you know, everybody's calling it the boulder of Europe. Yeah. <laughs> right. it's it's very popular amongst among cyclists uh we get spoiled uh yeah we get spoiled i think mostly with wine because <laughs> we we get like oh we just get incredible bottles of wine for like seven bucks and then you come here and you're like ah oh, sick i got a three liter bag of juice with you know, alcoholic juice for for twelve dollars you know and like that's it <laughs> 
So uh, we definitely get spoiled, you know, and, and we have two kids that we bring over and we spent uh, this year, we spent the whole year there and they're in school there and they go to school like nine to five and we pay the same amount here for one of our kids to go two days a week from nine to one. So it's, we, we definitely have a, a good life, uh, life there, like outside of the sport. And I think we're really fortunate to, to have that because a lot of riders don't, they don't, I don't, I just don't get the impression that they, they look at Europe as like a, I don't know, maybe it scares them or whatever, but they just don't want to go and enjoy it, enjoy it there. Um, they just use it as like, oh, I just got to be close to this, close to the races. But, um, you know, my family and I, we, we've definitely put a lot of work into actually setting down roots and, and trying to, you know, have a community there that, you know, that we can rely on and, and, and be a part of. And, and I think that's been really important. So um, not, it's not like we travel to Europe and we live in Europe for, for half a year and then, come home for uh the other half of the year you know we're home in austin and we're also home in, in Girona too and i think that's been really important too so talk a little bit about the riding in Girona because i hear it's epic i'm jealous i really want to go <laughs> i mean maybe sometime i'll come over and you know i'll, I'll make trade we'll go for some rides and i'll cook some yeah. done done <laughs> we'll we'll have some fun but tell me because I, I just hear like everything out Girona is just incredible it's like loops and climbs and it's just epic yeah I mean it would, it would take advantage of it so much because everything about the area is is amazing Catalonia is, is beautiful we have the Costa Brava which is some of the home to some of the best beaches in the world I feel like you know 20 miles away from us um but yeah I mean I think the the biggest draw about Girona is that you have literally everything there's other great places right in Europe for sure uh, but I feel like the weather's always really good in Girona. Uh, if you want to go for a flat ride, you can easily go for five hours and, and do minimal climbing. But if you want to go for a ton of climbing too, you can also, you know, do 30, 40, 50 minute climbs, uh, you know, really close to Girona. Um, so I think it's, it's really great for training. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. You, you know, the crazy thing about, I feel like Spain and, and Europe, is like, there's just no reason for like half the roads to exist over like they're outside of cycling you know you'll be on this this back road you'll be on it for 30 miles you won't see you might see one car and you'll just be shocked You're like why is this guy back there you know there'll be three highways going to the same place but there'll be 40 just like separate roads that just like somehow connect you know 10 miles down the highway and you know there's just an endless possibilities of roads and back roads and and it's so easy just to get lost out there and just you know and not like an, oh, oh shit i'm lost i'm really scared but just like this is amazing like had i never know like know this is there i've been there eight years and i'm still discovering new roads and uh yeah it's, it's pretty special it's one of my favorite favorite places in the in the, the world to ride so we see a lot of people like you know retired from uk or something that you know, come to Girona to ride for a week and straight up never leave. So spend a week there, like, you know what, buy a place the next day and then, and then just live there. So I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, the food is also, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, I think you'd, I think you probably really enjoy it, you know, uh, experiencing it a bit more. And, and I think it has enough of a diverse culture that you can actually explore and, and be really comfortable there. And, and yeah, just, relax and enjoy so i'm guessing you're saying you're retiring there when you eventually <laughs> here is what i'm getting because it's yeah yeah uh, yeah probably not you know i mean like they don't have they don't know how to cook brisket 
Yeah, they don't have, know how to smoke brisket. But you know what? You can bring the brisket. I think right? that's what's really cool. <laughs> if, yeah, for sure. Them, I think they would be enamored by it. I think yeah. oh, so you have built-in train. I mean, you've got people to ride with all the time. The food, like there's so much food. Spain is like this monster yeah. of deliciousness, right? They may not have brisket, but they have jamón. Yeah, oh yeah. The oh, Mona Birico, like the for all oh, the first year I was in Girona, there's this I remember I did the Vuelta, my Neo Pro year. And after two weeks, I was just fried. I ended up having to pull out of the race because I just couldn't continue. And I went to this like pretty dark place afterwards. And I'd I'd wake up at like 10 o'clock in the morning and I'd just like kind of sit there. And then every day, the only time I would leave the house, I did this for two weeks straight, was to go down to the local like, you know. Hamona Birico place. Now I would just put down a plate, just a huge platter of it. I spent so much money just on Hamona Birico. It was just like, it's the only thing that kept me sane at the moment. But it's so good. And like, yeah, I don't know, you can go to Costco and like you see a, a little egg or something. That's just disgusting. You know, when you have, no, when you have the real stuff, it is, it blows your mind how much flavor can be just in this like tiny little sliver of, of meaty goodness. <laughs> So when you're riding, do you have cravings for, for food? Are there things that you like after something big and monstrous, you're like, man, I really could use this because that's how I judge a lot of what, mm. what I need is what my body's telling me when I'm riding. Like after I'm riding, I'm like, you know what? I really want some, something salty or I want, a yeah. burrito, or I want, and I think that that to me has been a really great barometer for mm-hmm. my own well-being. But is, do you have those cravings when you're there, especially when you're in Spain, when you can't get something that you may crave from Austin? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my go-to when I am training, uh, if I stop at a gas station here, it's a Reese's and a Dr. Pepper. And those things are just, they just don't exist in Europe. Uh, so I, I love Reese's uh, and I love Dr. Pepper. Uh, so I definitely crave that a lot. But um, I do have, God, I have a pretty big sweet tooth, which kind of can get me in trouble at some points. Uh, but I, I would say the biggest thing that I crave, uh, cause I generally try to cut this out when, you know, when I'm training hard and peaking and trying to lose weight is just a big fat steak. Um, and one thing that Spain does so much better is, is having like dry aged steak and we can go to butcher and get like an 80 day, 90 day dry aged steak. And, and this, you know, they have the, the Ruby Gallega, uh, kind of meat there from, from all that special, the special cows. And, um, I can just go get one of those and, you know, it's, it's like a quarter of the price it would be in America and I can just cook it at my house. And, and for me, like that, all the flavors and those things is just amazing. And yeah, that's, that's one thing that I really actually miss about Spain. And that's like my apps, my biggest comfort, my biggest comfort meal uh, when I'm home from a big block of like racing or whatever is a big fat kilogram of steak. That's, I mean, I get it. You know, your body's craving, you know, it's craving protein, it's craving iron and mineral, yeah. and it has all that, but also the dry age. I think the dry age is definitely a craving component for a lot yeah. of people. You have that umami old factory sense uh, that right yeah. here. And, and it's just, you know, and paired with some amazing, really fresh press olive oil and you're just, uh, yeah, win-win, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so buttery. Like, yeah, I, 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 I'm definitely a guy that eats the, eats the grizzle and eats the fat off the steak. And so you got it. It's a whole package, you know, I get it all and I gnaw on the bones, but like, that's where you get that really intense flavor. And uh, to me, it's, 
yeah, I told my wife, I already started looking into it, but I'm fully planning on when I retire and like I'm, we're settled into place like all year long. I'm going to get a dry age uh, refrigerator. Uh, Have you seen those chests? They're really cool. Yeah. Oh, I want one so bad. Like if we, if, if, yeah, if we spent the whole year in one place and, you know, if Toronto doesn't make sense because we can get it so easily, but it doesn't really exist here in, in, in the States. And if you want to go get a dry age stage steak from the butcher, you're paying hundred bucks for a little dinky New York strip. So yeah, that's definitely something I, I, I would love to get into is like figuring out how to dry age, uh, dry age steak. But then if you start researching, you can, you can dry age anything. You know, I saw some yeah. dried, yeah, I saw some dry age a whole tuna. Ooh. You can, you can dry, uh, you know, what's really beautiful is duck, whole duck, mm. dry aging your duck. But um, there's, so the beef that you're getting is, is it the older beef? You know, like you're talking, I like in the States, we use this local company that is selling dairy cattle. So they're, they're seven years old before mm. they go to the pasture because yeah. dairy cattle, right? So they're, they're like, I like to say they're like pampered beef, right? Because, you know, they're no hormones, yeah. not all that stuff because it's an organic dairy farm, right? Mm -hmm. So then those cattle go to pasture and that's another year. Most most meat that goes to the slaughterhouse is only a year and a half old for cattle. Oh, yeah. So the, 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 the beef that when it's older, it's going to have more myoglobin and it's just going to be a different thing. Then you dry age it. Mm. So like, I got to connect you with these guys. Mm, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll ship to you. You can get this. I, we call it vintage beef or antique beef. And then you can dry age it whole. And then you just do, I mean, it's killer. killer. Yeah. And but what, the things that you realize, like when you travel, especially in Europe, is like quality is so important, you know, and, and, and grocery stores here, they just mass produce anything and everything. And like uh, the biggest note, like you get a bell pepper here, it has no flavor. Like I, I never really enjoy it. To me, bell peppers, you put in a salad for some crunch. But you go to Europe and shoot, I'll just eat a bell pepper like an apple because it has it just explodes in your mouth. And you realize that like, yeah, the, I don't know, when it's, when things are local uh they like you know the people that uh produce them actually care about what they're doing it's it makes a big difference um yeah and the same thing goes with meat like the quality is is is, is so important you know it's like these days i don't want to go to the grocery store and just buy ribeye and and and, and grill it to me that's just it's just not great you know it's, if it's not primo and, and and good quality it's just not even worth it so, offline i'll send you a con i'll send you guys the, the contact yeah, they do drop great it. They do, they do these boxes that'll like, it'll have a whole bunch of stuff in it. So it'll be like, uh, they'll do heritage birds. They'll do a certain amount of ground beef for burger blend. And then they'll do steaks and then they'll do pork. And so I'll send yeah. you offline. I'll send you. Yeah. yeah. You love it. Cause you, and then you're like, you'll have it for, and then you can kind of pick and choose what you yeah. want. Yeah. So let's do it. So like when you start looking at, you know, the, the, your, your season coming up and your changes that you're making, and, and, and like, like I said to you before we started this, like, if you don't want to talk about anything, just tell me to pound sand, but what do you see? And do you, have you set goals for yourself with this, with upcoming 2022, because you are transitioning to a new team, you are looking, you know, at, at, when you transition to a new team, there's a whole new learning process going on, right? Mm -hmm. You're working with a new DS, uh, that's director sportif for those folks out there. Who's that's the guy that sits in the car and yells at their ear on yeah. a walkie talkie. And right. I'm, yeah. He does really yell in your ear, don't they? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but you have, you're going to work with a new DS. You've got a whole new team, a squad mm-hmm. that you're learning to build a relationship with. What, what are you setting f- for yourself as goals for 2022? If you'd like to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I'm definitely excited about the, the change of bike exchange next year. Um, I think, you know, when I was looking at teams, I think it actually really is a, a place where I fit in well with the culture of the team. And to me, that's, that's incredibly important. You know, if you're not happy in the environment that you are, then, yeah, I don't know. The passion isn't there. The motivation isn't there. It's, it's, it goes a long way. So I, th- I think that I'll fit in really well. And I, th- I think I'll really enjoy being part of that environment and, and the dealing that, you know, talking with the team now and, and, and getting to know everyone has been really smooth and, and has felt really natural. So I think that's, that's going to be really important to me, uh, going into next year and in the next two years, I guess. Um, but I think in terms of goals, yeah. Um, I'm really happy to just be in a place that I really feel like believes in me. Um, and, and that allows me to, I don't know, believe in myself a, a bit more. And, and um, I'm really excited about that. But I love to go defend my, my national championship title uh, for the TT. And yeah, it'd be nice to add the, the road race to the, to the resume as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't, yeah, we don't necessarily know like our exact schedules for the year yet. So it's, it's yeah, it's a lot of it, I think will be, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it at camp next month in December and, and, and getting that dialed and saying, okay, this, this is kind of what the team expects of me. And this allows me to kind of go forward and, 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 you know, create the goals that, that, uh, you know, that I want and, and that I can be proud of. So um, for me, I, I really just want to get back to racing consistently at a high level. And I think that's a pretty broad answer. Um, but yeah, it's been, this, yeah, the last two years, especially in the cycling season of, yeah, I haven't been the greatest for me. And like, I've had moments, you know, I've had like, you know, times that I've, you know, been really good and I've been able to show what I can do, but yeah, I just feel like I wasn't able to be in a place where I could do that consistently. And so for me, just, you know, showing up at the first race and, and yeah, proving that I am, uh, you know, I can be a very valuable member of the team and, and can help the team have a lot of success and, and, you know, hopefully go and, and get a few, few victories for myself. I, I think that'd be my number one priority for the season. And uh, DS, that's Maddie White, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, had you interacted with Maddie White in the past? Um, I, no, the, I mean, the first time I talked to him actually was probably, yeah, uh, when I started talking to the team. Um, I got reached out and, and, yeah, of course you know who he is and he's got a long history in the sport. And, um, but, yeah, I, I was able to connect with him, get on the phone with him. And, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was, it was really nice to talk to someone um, – yeah, someone like him. I, I think we, it felt really good to connect with him and start to get to know him. And then also just hearing like more or less his, his reputation, which is really good amongst not only like the guys in the Peloton, but the guys outside of it. Cause I think that makes a big difference too. Um, and it's funny, I'll, I'll be here in Austin and, and so many guys know him cause he raced for, for discovery or postal like quite a few years ago. So he's actually been down here in, in town training um, as a training camps before. So um, everyone's had really good things to say about him. And, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to just kind of building that relationship, uh, not only with him, but the, the whole team, all their other directors as well, the trainers. And um, yeah, just being part of an environment that, yeah, that really believes in me and, and motivates me to, to be better. So excited for it. I hear they also have a really great chef. I've heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot about her and yeah. I've heard, I've, I've also seen a documentary that they did with her. So you yeah. should be really psyched on getting some yeah. very delicious food. 
Oh, it makes a big difference too. And, and I've worked with, you know, quite a few really good chefs in, in, in the past in the sport. And, but it makes such like good food just makes a big difference, especially when you're two weeks into a grand tour and you're just like, God, I just don't want to eat anymore. But having something just different every day is, is, oh, it's really nice. So awesome. Yeah. You should come cook for us. I'd love to. Let's figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to Maddie, make it happen. I'll come guest yeah. one day for you guys. Yeah. You, gotta, awesome. I think you have to okay it with their chef. You know. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, 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 a, really it's, weird a bummer, yeah. it's a bummer there's no like tour of California or Colorado anymore. You know, it's like, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. So yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm working to try to get over over on the other side of the pond, hopefully. This yeah. Time. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's a big goal this year, I think. Um yeah. I turned 50 in April, so maybe we'll come nice. or, yeah. or do something of that nature and ride a bit. So yeah, for sure. I mean, Europe's a great place to do it, and I don't know. It has everything except good hamburgers and uh, yeah, soda. <laughs> okay, because I'm. I mean, I can get that here when I go. Yeah, there, right. I totally entrench myself and like what's going on, not right? Only, you know, in the community, but historically and yeah. So. No, it's very yeah. true. Yeah, when we're there for like 10 months out of the year, you get to the point where it's like, oh, I just want a good juicy burger. And then you realize like that the, the, the meat is, is just like half, it's half the battle with the, a good hamburger, you know? So much of it is like the condiments inside that and like the biggest thing, if it doesn't have a good bun, it's not good. Yeah. So is there's, so yeah, that must be t- like, you know, it's funny because I've had burgers when I was in, in Europe and they would like serve it in a baguette, which I actually mm. enjoyed that, but the baguette was too tough. So yeah, they bite through the baguette and then the burger shoots out the side or right and they didn't it. You got to have it right. You, you mm-hmm. it's got to be burger to bun ratio. The texture oh, yeah. got to be right. Got to yeah. have the right amount of toppings. No ketchup in my world. Mm. Different story. What's, oh, what's in your world then? Um, I'm pretty straightforward. Uh, I do caramelized onions, Gruyere, uh, Dijon lettuce mm. and if tomatoes aren't in season if i can't get a nice sliced tomato what i do is i take roma tomatoes and i slowly air dry them in the oven so they intensify in flavor and i put them um, wow yeah. oh food hack yeah that's a great oh. one that's really yeah. like you know roma tomatoes are something that we can get pretty much all year yeah they're a meteor tomato so i'll take them split them in half and lay them split side up season them a little salt and pepper and some fresh thyme and good olive oil. And I'll put them in the convection oven at like 175 and let them dehydrate slowly. Mm. So it pulls all the excess moisture out. So you literally have this like super flavor bomb tomato. Wow. All right, I'm gonna have to do that. Oh, that's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good trick. I mean, you can even take them further and almost make yeah. your own um, like sun-dried tomatoes, but they're yeah. And then pack them in olive oil and that you can make sauces with. Yeah. Love them when they're taken down. And those are great on like BLTs. Those are great on club sandwiches, especially in a time when tomatoes aren't great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you start to realize, like I, when I, before we had kids, I I really enjoyed cooking. Um, And you're always like, your first reaction is to go to this like super intricate like recipe or just like you have to like put so much stuff into it. But then you sort of realize like some of the best things are just the most simple things. You know, it's like, why, why overthink it? You know, like, and and you you get these all different meats or whatever. And like, as long as you have good quality meat, all you need is salt, pepper, you know, fish or whatever. You just don't need, you don't need crazy sauces. You don't need any of this stuff. It's just, yeah, just go with what works. So 
Well, let's play this little game. I do this with everybody. There's no wrong answer. It's just mm. your choice. Okay. Right. Red or white wine? Red, for sure. <laughs> Coffee. White. Coffee. Yeah. So espresso or cappuccino? Ah, uh, cappuccino. Yeah. Hamburger, hot dog. Hamburger. Ketchup, mustard. Ketchup. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Like when you grow up in America, all you have is Heinz, Heinz mustard. And that's, that's pretty disgusting. You know, it's, it's just not good. Yeah. Uh, if, if you have like a nice Dijon mustard, that's like, you know, it's got that like spice and that a hundred percent over ketchup. But you know, when I'm looking at Heinz mustard, Heinz ketchup, I'm choosing. Ketchup. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair answer. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, pasta or noodles? Ah, noodles. Yeah. It's a big divert. You got more diversity. Dumplings or ravioli? Dumplings. Oh, I love it. I love Asian cuisine. Yeah. Burrito, taco. Oh, taco. Yeah. Nigiri, sashimi. Probably nigiri. Sea urchin or caviar? I've never had caviar. Okay. Yeah. So that's something yeah. we're going to work on next time. Yeah. You, let's I, do it. We'll do it at the restaurant. All uh, right. Um, dark beer, light beer? Light beer. IPA. Sorry. IPA. That's my answer with beer. IPA. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. Everybody's got so many different thought processes on, on beverage. It's such a, um, yeah. A, I mean, it's a powerful choice. Right? Yeah. It defines exactly who you are as a person. <laughs> I mean, it definitely does. Like I'm a, I'm a coffee fanatic. Like, I'm, Oh yeah, for I'm sure. Coffee nonstop. Yeah. Um, oh man. I just lost the, my train of thought. Uh, oh, uh, chocolate or fruit? Chocolate. Yeah. Bitter or milk? Bitter? Bitter chocolate or milk chocolate? Oh, <sighs> bitter. Like yeah. Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. Yeah. Such a better. I, I yeah. Yeah. Milk chocolate's too easy to eat, you know? Like, if I want to slam a bar, then yeah, okay, give me a, like a pretty shitty, like Hershey's milk chocolate bar. That's fine. <laughs> but what the 99% of the time we have dark chocolate in the house, yeah. So, a um, couple last ones. Biggest food phobia? Oh, man, I'm, I'm pretty adventurous with my food. I won't lie. Um, I did, we were in Girona at this, at this kind of ranch house uh, style uh, restaurant. And I was like, I'm just going to branch out. I got pig trotters and I can't, I, I did not like pig trotters. Yeah. They were grilled and I, I couldn't do it. I will eat just about anything, but for whatever reason, could not do the pig feet. Were they braised before or were they just grilled? They were just grilled. Well, yeah. that's too tough. They should have braised them, chilled yeah. them, then grilled them, then texturally it would have been delicious. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I think they're probably a bit of a delicacy, but. Yeah. They're, actually they're one of my favorites <laughs> yeah all right well i just probably didn't have them good, it's funny you know? it is a tough it is a tough thing for people it's texturally tough so like mm -hmm. it's not braised first and then chilled and then cooked another way and make it crispy or you yeah. know you have to you have to tenderize because that's a tougher cut yeah yeah no I, I definitely didn't have it right i'd be willing to try again um and when i say it's my biggest food phobia sorry my daughter just walked no, it's all good. um yeah, I'd be willing to try again. Food phobia, though? I don't know. I was in China one time. I made a bunch of, like, 
like cockroaches that you just eat off like off of like a food vendor on the side of the street. That I wasn't not gonna do. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that I definitely couldn't do. Uh, uh, favorite guilty pleasure. I mean, I think we talked about it, the the big steak. Yeah, and I'm big. Junk food. Yeah, favorite junk food. I like Reese's. Yeah, definitely Reese's. Also, I've, I grew up eating a lot of Cheetos, and I kind of you know ventured away from them a couple of years, but I've been back on a kind of a, a Cheeto kick recently. So like all the kids are eating taquitos. Is that what they're yeah, called? I don't know. Ta- Takis. No, Takis. Yeah, I see that bag all the time. Our daughter got some uh, trick or treating. I was like, what are, why? What are these things? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. People, it's like they're trying to be something nice. Here, try I know, some right? Try some Takis. No, because- no, no, I want candy. <laughs> yeah, I'm a three year old daughter doesn't want that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I've never even had a talkie in my life, so I couldn't. I've tried them because my son gave them to me. They're yeah. pretty harsh, but you know, they're good. Yeah, teach their own. Yeah. So, if somebody wants to find you, what you got going on, where you're going to be next, where's the best place for them to, to look you up? Um, I mean, I have Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of social media. Um, I think it's pretty easy to just like basically display of who you want to be as opposed to actually who you are. Um, and so that, for that reason, I, I'm not a, I don't, I don't love posting a ton and posting exactly what's going on in my life. It's funny. I'll post stuff like that. I feel like is super important to me, like family and, and stuff like that. And no one gives, no one gives a shit, <laughs> but I'll picture, I'll post a picture of like a, of me riding over a bridge and everyone's like, yeah, this is amazing. And you're just like, <laughs> I just don't understand. I just don't understand it. So um, I mean, I, I have all that stuff, you know, probably the best places. If you want to see where I am, just follow me on Strava, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. That's a great yeah. idea. And, it, and I think, you know, I'm super excited to see what's coming up for you this year. You and I have been in constant contact for quite a bit of time, and it's really fun to see and actually get to hang out for a little bit. And oh, talk for sure. Also, look forward to cooking you that dinner. When are you Let's headed to Spain? When uh, yeah, I think we'll probably go for the season – mid January, early January. Okay. I think, yeah. So we gotta, we gotta plan a time when I'm going to be down in Houston next. Yeah, please do. So no, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be in Houston a couple of times over the next, next month or two. So perfect. I look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. Let me know when you're there and then we can go, go have some red wine and, uh, at Rosalie. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Bring the whole fam. And, uh, we've got, we got spaghetti and meatballs for the kids and yeah, good awesome. stuff. Yeah, no, uh, we went there and I think went right when y'all opened and had a great time. So it was great. I mean, it was like good food, and but also like it was like great location and like really reasonably priced, which is like you just don't see very often these days. So yeah, awesome. Good That's, stuff. You feel good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Lawson. I know you got you got some stuff going on. You got a, a kiddo wanting your attention. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about to hit Matt in his head. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it's never a dull moment, but it's fun. Awesome. So. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.